You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Saldana. Hey, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, uh, Tony Saldana. And uh, we are here, as always, to turn the biggest disruptions into the biggest opportunities to drive change. I am delighted today to host Angela Chu. Angela is the Senior Vice President and Chief Procurement Officer at Lufthansa Group. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you very much, Tony. Happy to be here. Well, it's our pleasure. There is so much that we want to talk about here, Angela. You've got just so much experience from different roles and different locations and all over the world. But then you also have a fascinating backstory. I uh, would like to start, as always, with a little bit of the personal aspect. So how did you end up as senior leader at a European company from the background growing up in China? Well, that's going to be a very long story, Tony, but I think I want to keep it short and precise. I think first I would say opportunities comes to those who are prepared. I always made sure that my performance is great. I overachieve my, my targets most of the times. Most important, I keep learning new skills, keeping learning new languages, getting to know new culture, working in different locations. And also, I reflect quite often from my own experiences made, either successful experiences or failures I've done. But also, I learn quite often from others. I read a lot of books. I listen to inspiring leadership uh, podcasts these days. I think I can learn so many things every day. That's also maybe one thing I motivate myself. It's always stay curious. Then you are open to new opportunities. And second, I think it's also dare to do things which is outside of your job description. Dare to do things which is good for the company. Dare to do things which is good to your people. Dare to do things which is good to yourself. Always look for opportunities to enhance your skills, your communication skills, your presentation skills but also your interpersonal skills. I think that's very important. A third one I think is about, um, yeah, I was lucky to have also great leaders who were able to identify my potentials. And I think I learned from that uh, skills. Today, I can really also look at those talents and tell them what they can do eventually, which they sometimes don't recognize by themselves. I happen to know that you're considered to be a very, very, genuine and a generous leader. So I'm sure people development and, and, and growing talent has been an area that is very important to you. But one of the things you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we talked is the fact that you are in many ways a role model in terms of diversity, in terms of gender, but you really had no similar role models that you could identify early in your career. To what extent did you make up your own role models as you came to these roles? I recognize, actually, when we talk about innovation, when we talk about sustainability or performance improvement or transformation, actually, the basic foundational question is about people. The people is a very important uh, topic on, on my heart, and I find everything I do I start to look at the people and think about people-focused solutions. Here, when I saw, talk about people, people, of course, meant our customers, our end customers, our internal customers, our internal stakeholders, and, of course, our own teams. 
And I think this really uh, helped me actually in many difficult situations to find a proper solution to solve the issues, to solve the problems between us and suppliers, to solve the problem between us and our customers, but also to look at how to onboarding stakeholders, create a joint vision with the teams and with our internal stakeholders. I think that's all my let's say, approach to really start with, with the people. When I think about transformation, actually, maybe transformation is even the big words. Maybe just the, um, let's say a few simple examples. When I take over teams, I usually take a lot of time to onboard myself by getting to know the organization, but especially the people behind that. Because I find actually it doesn't matter which culture we are in, which continent we are in, and which companies we are working for, as end, there's basic behaviors, human beings' needs, uh, like to be respected, to have a sense of belonging, to feel that an, a safe place to, to voice their opinions, but also to be creative, learn from failures, celebrate success, but also celebrate learnings, right? I think actually these are very fundamental, basic human being uh, demands, which is actually very common across different cultures. Therefore, I felt actually quite good when I worked in China and later on in Germany or now in Switzerland, I felt actually there's not so much difference. We are just at the end, all normal human beings. Last but not least, I felt I don't put myself, because I'm the, let's say I'm carrying a title, I put myself the most important person. I felt we are all equal. We are all same normal human beings. And therefore I treat everybody with respect. Doesn't matter whether his hierarchy or her hierarchy is lower or higher than me. I just treat everybody equal and the same. And I think I welcome also, let's say, constructive feedbacks. Doesn't matter this feedback come from which different level of my, my organizations. I think people knows me who always say I'm very open-minded. I'm very flexible to listen to different uh, perspectives and finding the right solutions, which most of the stakeholders will find that uh, there's a lot of benefit for all the parties. Angela, what a fabulous example of a servant leader. The leadership principles that you were just describing are those that do transcend cultures and roles and so on and so forth. So thank you for sharing uh, some of your own principles there. You know, here at the show, we love to hear stories. And you've been associated with some really big transformations, you know, managing crises, uh, supply chain. As you look upon this very successful career over several decades, what are one or two examples of transformations, you know, things that you are really proud of? I would say there are a couple of uh, transformations I've led in the past. From my last employer from ABB Group and also nowadays at Lufthansa, I felt actually procurement in many industries, not only these two companies I work for, but I think in general, in many industries, unfortunately, procurement is still most time underestimated, right? Their value, their contribution has not been properly either communicated or properly understood by many internal stakeholders or or sometimes uh, organizations outside of procurement. It's a joint vision actually from many of the procurement leaders want to improve the situation. I'm just one of them. So I'm happy to share a few examples I have done in, in my past. I think generally, before we talk about value creation, it's all about making your performance right. Because procurement has a basic function, which is like, you know, bring the right materials with the right price, the right time with the right quality, right? So therefore, we have to make sure that the performance is, is transparent, is visible to the contribution of a company's profit and loss. 
right? I think without that, you won't be able to ever succeed, right? Then, of course, comes, of course, the, the proper communication, proper the stakeholder management, manage expectations. But I think, same time, I'm a true believer that as a procurement leader, you can't be the best, uh, let's say, uh, experts for all categories. My principle is I always hire the better, the smarter person than me to be on specific topics, on categories, or on IT tools, or infrastructure, or negotiations, or stock management whatsoever. I'm keen to get talents on board who are better than me, because I always believe I don't want to be the smartest person in that room. I'm in the wrong room if I'm the smartest person, right? Therefore, I, I push quite a lot that my team to upscaling themselves. I find they have to be the best negotiator in the world, and then they can communicate and also negotiate on behalf of the company's best interest towards our suppliers. Another thing I find uh, when we talk about strategic suppliers, for instance, I think the, the honest and transparency and fairness are for me very, very important. I don't want to negotiate to the last cent of a supplier that they have no profit at all, that they have no profit that they can invest further in their technology, in their innovation, in their R&D, in their people as well, right? Therefore, uh, in the recent years, I think our supplier needs also investment in the whole sustainability topic, human rights, right? I think, therefore, I felt treat a supplier as a strategic partner with all fairness, openness, and transparency would help. And that indeed actually happened also in the last two years when we, as Lufthansa Group, has really you know, almost grounded and we were very suffering from the whole pandemic situation, but so did our suppliers, right? I'm particularly proud that our teams handled the whole crisis management in a very proper manner, meaning that on one side, we have run about five to 10% flight capacity, that we are flying masks or medical equipments, and uh, we still have to keep the operation running. On the other side, we have to look at our whole liquidity situation that we don't run into a high risk of potential bankruptcy. Therefore, we, we have to turn to our, many of our suppliers for asking for support. And I have to say, I'm so proud of myself. I wrote my sleeve to work with my team, look at all the inwards lines. At the same time, I'm very grateful that my team did everything properly and all according to a very high standard of ethics standard and moral standard, of course, within all legal frame, frame agreement. I think throughout that experience, what also one learning from me is in good times that we all, you know, learn so many things in procurement supply chain or whatever functions. In crisis moments, then the autopilot is on, then every good learning that you have will come automatically. There's no time you, you look to, to Google, right? So there's the time actually you, what is inside of you comes out naturally. And I find uh, important is in the in crisis moment, you know, you keep on what's your, what your inside voice is telling you, what is right, what is wrong, right? I think that's why I'm particularly proud that we came out of the crisis in a very proper manner. We have resilience in supply chain, at the same time, we secured also our liquidity that we got also the government support on time. So I think that's a great success we have had in the collaboration with our supplier network. You raise a really interesting point. Um, the, the need to almost build muscle memory when it comes to you know, principles and ways of working so that when you hit 
times of crises, you don't have to think differently. You, you basically rely on muscle memory to drive the interactions with the suppliers. And I want to stay with that for a moment, then I will move to DEI. I have, especially in supply chain, come across a lot of organizations that tend to say, of course, all of the right words. Strategic supplier is, is, a, is a term that's thrown around very, very freely. You know, in times of crises, the number one strategy is to say, you know, what can I squeeze out of my supplier because I am hurting as a company. And so in good times and bad, I'm going to use the term strategic supplier to say you are strategic. So if I am hurting, then you need to hurt as well. Right now, again, you know, to a certain extent, that is going to happen inevitably in, in, in some situations of crises. But there are some principles that you just mentioned, which is. Are you squeezing to the point that, you know, your suppliers could go out of business? Are you cutting to the bone? How do you interpret the term strategic supplier? To what extent is this marriage, you know, for better or for worse, you know, during good times or bad times? How do you interpret that particular term? I don't differentiate, actually. Is it crisis time or good time for us? Because it's like a partner relationship, right? You will be there when good time comes, when the bad time comes as well. So for me, in general, I would say, look at supplier management. My view is the suppliers are always much more intelligent than us. They know how to design the products. They know how the functionality will be produced. They know what is the best from their production processes, et cetera, et cetera. In my whole career in the procurement supply chain management, my, uh, when I go around to suppliers, there are a few questions I always ask them. I'm asking them, what can we do to improve the whole process? What can we do to help you to reduce costs? What can we do to help us to reduce all the complexity in our whole ordering processes? If there is something we can jointly improve, of course, I'm open for profit sharing. Because I think in the past, or in, the, in nowadays especially, uh, we had, from time to time, shortages on the markets, right? In my time, ABB time, and also now in Lufthansa time, now due to all the whole uh, global crisis situations, there there's a lot of times that we have to let's say, make sure that our suppliers thinking that we are their preferred customers. How we can become their preferred customers is not that just by volume, right? It's also our attitudes, our, our, our professional behaviors our characters, and also how did we treat them in the, in the good times and also in the bad times, right? That goes back to me as a principle, to my basic principle, we are just all human beings. How come the supplier prefer us when there's a shortage and they, don't, they deliver to us, first of all, not to deliver to our competitors? So this doesn't come with one email. It doesn't come with one telephone. The relationship has been built up over a long, long, long period. Right. And I know how often I have to call suppliers when I was on the operative procurement. I have to call up the suppliers and beg them, please send me the parts because otherwise next week our production can be stopped. But over time, that when you show respect, when you don't play, oh, I'm the customer, therefore I'm the god, you, have, you are the small suppliers, you have to do whatever I tell you. I think those times have been long gone. Therefore, for me, I don't differentiate really good time or bad time suppliers. I'm rather looking at build a fair, and transparent, trustworthy relationships. And I think we have to keep also our commitment to suppliers. You know, so I don't like 
they to play cards with suppliers, you know, to play tricks. I think those things can really does not serve you for a long term perspective. Therefore, I think in my let's say um, procurement um, career, I'm very very happy actually. I make friends with suppliers even afterwards when I have no business relationship with the suppliers. I still receive calls or greeting cards from them because they respect me as a person, not because they have to please me because I'm their customers. You know, that's an angle to procurement that I haven't come across very, very often. You've defined the term strategic suppliers very differently than what I have seen in many organizations. You're not talking about, I do so much business with you and therefore I'm going to treat you differently, but I'm also going to expect a lot more just because of the volume of business that I give you. Um, you've defined strategic suppliers at a much more human relationship level, which is, you know, you and I are part of one virtual company, but then you and I are also, you know, human beings and, and we're going to work together and we're going to treat each other fairly and we're going to drive end-to-end -end improvement in the entire virtual company. On that one, just to make sure that I do have a very high expectation from our suppliers. I'll give you one short story. Once I was dealing with, I was in operative procurement and I was meeting a potential logistic forwarder to come to visit us. And um, we, we agreed a time at 13 o'clock to meet after, right after lunch. And then they came in 13 points, zero, uh, 13, five, so five minutes passed. They called me from the reception, said, oh, I will arrived. Then they start to apologize, of course, for the five-minute delay because they didn't know that we have two doors. We have the entrance here, we have the entrance there, and they were on the wrong entrance. And I told them, guys, you are forwarders. If I want to do logistic business with you, I expect you to find out everything about my location and deliver to me on time. If we meet at 13 o'clock, I expect you at least... 13 o'clock, not, even not maybe a few minutes before, they were like shocked. I was, I was quite pretty directly talking to the CEO in front of his face. He was pretty shocked. He was a little bit gray. He was a little, I'm, I'm upset, I have to say. And then I said, okay, but in the future, I hope you will remember this. I have very, very high expectation to my supplier to be on time on quality, of course. So I want them to fulfill their commitment. I can't believe it. We had a business and uh, 10 years later, we met a different conference. Actually, we have, have no business with him anymore afterwards. And he said, Angela, you know what? I still remember that what you told me 10 years ago when I met in your reception. That's kept, I kept that in my whole memories, not towards you as a customer, but also towards his, all his customers. And he said, I know so many executives said that in front of his face like that, but he, he appreciated that very much. 10 years after we met. Absolutely. I, I, I want to go back to, to the, uh, the, the incident, the story of uh, on-time meetings, because the learning that I want to draw out is that in all of my professional career, I found that having a caring relationship does not preclude, does not prevent having high expectations out of each other. And I think that's really the, 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 the core lesson that I want our listeners to take away, which is this is not being about, hey, all, you know, fluffy and, you know, uh, playing nice at the risk of reduced expectations from our suppliers. This is all about being respectful. And part of being respectful is 
having high expectations and encouraging the end-to-end -end supply chain to perform at its uh, absolute peak. So I'm really glad that you took the opportunity to share that anecdote because I think it allows us to kind of reiterate that expectation. Um, but you did touch upon my next topic, which is DEI. Now, leveraging the supply chain as part of driving DEI is a very, very core expectation in, in most uh, industries and most companies today. How do you think of your role in procurement to drive sustainability and DEI? I think those are two very big topics, right? I think it's, uh, I would say, let's break down a bit. I will start with DNI. DNI, for me, uh, let's start with our whole, let's say, customer base, right? Our customer base is very diverse. And that means for me, very important to build our also workforce very diverse. Because I felt procurement supply chain is a function, as I said, it's underestimate. Why? Because many of our talents stay for, for very, very long in the function and we don't have so much rotation with other functions. Therefore, for me, on purpose, uh, whenever I have opportunity, uh, I always like to hire talents who come from a different function or different industry or different, uh, let's say, uh, background. Doesn't matter uh, which nationality, which passport he's holding, what language he's having. For me, it's always looking at a diverse team. And of course, gender is one of the topic. Again, in procurement supply chain, we had, especially in the past, we had very less pipeline of talents, of female talents, right? Especially if you come to meet in the senior levels. I think recent years, the situation gets improved. I'm very happy to see that. But to share a little bit um, what I have contributed on the DNI uh, um, initiatives. Uh, about eight or nine years ago, when, uh, when I was for working for ABB, I was one of the few uh, women executives. When I travel around to my different locations, I always have talent dialogues. And also I organize talks with female talents because I knew they have different topics to share with me. So often they ask me questions like, oh, you know, um, there's a job posting. I feel I only have 60, 70% of the criteria fulfilled. I don't have the other 30 or 40. Can I apply for that? Other questions like, my boss always telling me I did great, great jobs, but I was never promoted. However, my male colleagues get promoted. So what's wrong? Other questions like, oh, I'm, I'm juggling between family and career. Can I have a family at the same time have a career? How did you manage that? Uh, what is possible? What is not possible? You know, those are typical questions where I see a general management program did not offer the, the answers. So that's why I picked up the, this topic and I went to a learning development department. I have a good colleague of mine there. She helped me to build up a, a, a women advanced program for ABB Group. It started with my own function in procurement supply chain with 14 people. And uh, half a year later, because there were so many positive feedbacks from their sponsors, their mentors, and also their colleagues, their peers, they recognized actually this program helped those women become much more satisfied in their job environment. I call satisfied is not necessarily everybody get a higher position. It's just that they feel themselves are much more appreciated. They feel themselves having making meaningful impact. They feel themselves uh, more vocal in, in some situations. So they become happier in their work environment. And therefore that, that uh, pro program I created has been you know, asked to, to open up to many other functions and then roll it out globally. 
So I'm very happy actually now it has become a group wide initiative, one of the major foundation uh, cornerstones of the today's DNI programs for ABB Group. And I'm very proud of that. I was recently invited back actually to the group. You know, I was sharing the same stage with the head of HR. We were talking about the programs and we were talking to the current participants in, in, the, in the programs. I'm very happy that, uh, that I did something which is actually not in my job profile. That's why if you refer to what I just said at the beginning, how did I end up as what I'm here today, is to dare to do something which is not necessarily in your job requirement, but if you feel there's a need that your organization, your people can benefit from that, do it. Don't ask for permission. Don't ask for a mandate. You empower yourself and do it. Oh, that's fabulous. Um, the, uh, the female development program, you know, clearly you were a pioneer in many aspects in that particular space. Um, and uh, many of your accomplishments kind of follow you across these different companies. So I'm really glad to hear you kind of talk about that from within your own organization. And of course, that extends to a certain extent to uh, the supplier base as well. So maybe just to kind of stay with DNI uh, for a second, how do you kind of play the role of talent development and DNI when it comes to supplier management? First of all, I think, uh, again, since our customer is globally based, therefore we also have by nature some suppliers globally based. Nowadays, we, of course, discuss from the globalization now back to localization, right? I think there's also hot discussions in the recent years. I truly believe, actually, we have been through that, you know, building up uh, uh, suppliers who are minority-owned, who are women-owned, who are not necessarily that the big companies, but small, mid-sized companies. I think large organizations like ours and many others have the capability and also the, the, the knowledge to help those smaller suppliers and mid-sized suppliers to grow because we all came from that experiences already. If I think about 20 plus years back when globalization started, right, we all have to set up to build up uh, suppliers in East Europe, in China, in, in, in India, in uh, South America. So I think we have been through that. We have the knowledge, we have the skills. It's all about willingness. It's all about how much emphasis you want to put in into this topic. In Lufthansa Group, we do work with uh, suppliers who are, let's say, owned by, uh, uh, who employ a lot of people who like physically dis yeah, dis disabled. So I think this is uh, quite um, quite something I'm proud of, that our group is role model in many of these aspects. We still have to, to do more because aviation, of course, has a very high entry point. But we, we try to use our influences, our impact to helping those organizations who ever come to, uh, let's say, potential suppliers that we take care of them, we build their competences and help them to become qualified suppliers for us. I did want to draw out some of your accomplishments in this area because it's very clear that as a procurement leader in a very large and a very impactful organization, you have a lot of impact that you can have in who you do business with, how you develop them. You know, as you said, hand-holding them through processes of certification, driving uh, the development of, you know, people with disabilities or minority suppliers or small suppliers. And, and, and clearly, this, this caring aspect carries over, obviously, beyond the Lufthansa group into your supplier base. So, so that's fabulous. And then the adjacency from there essentially gets into the 
the uh, the huge role that you play on sustainability. Again, you know, you have a leverage that is unique. Um, so, what are some of the uh, the the principles that you hold true when it comes to, of course, driving sustainability in operations? Not only our group, actually, if you look at all procurement organizations, supply chain management organizations across industries, I think we should have a joint targets because I truly believe one organization alone most of the time won't be able to succeed, right? This is actually a chain effect that we have to look at our upstream, downstream suppliers, customers to look at where can we do things jointly. I was recently joining also a supplier event by a peer company who I found uh, is a very good process that they have built up, which we could learn from, is to really look at cross-industry and look at also jointly technology innovation. We will have a strength if we do the innovation jointly with our suppliers, for instance. And also, especially on the sustainability piece, I think, again, looking at how the value chain set up, how our global footprint is setting up, I think that's, again, procurement supply chain leader can play a very important role. In our group, we are looking at also to have more transparency when we make, let's say, procurement decisions uh, or sourcing decisions, which uh, which would have immediate impact on the CO2 emission, of course. Absolutely. And I'm really glad to hear the, the emphasis on not just within a company, but, you know, perhaps beyond that, you know, in the industry as, as, as well as in the broader world. Angela, too, we could go on because there's so many rich topics that we could explore with you, given, of course, your experiences and your uh, skill in here. But before I let you go, I absolutely need to ask you for one other thing, which is, you know, for all of those aspiring Angelas out there in any part of the world, in any gender, in any, you know, socioeconomic environment, as they look at you now as a role model, what would be some words of advice that you would give them? Be respectful to what you do. Take care of yourself. Take care of your people. Take care of your internal stakeholders, your customers at the end. I would say, especially the crisis last two years has made me really thinking about a lot, about empathetic leadership and compassion. I think that goes very well, actually, backwards to my whole career development, but I'm much more convinced this, this was the right way and this I will continue. When I say empathetic, leadership is all about being empathetic to ourselves, listen to our inner voice. What do we need? When do we need to take a break, for instance? Second, it really be empathetic to our customers, take care of them. For instance, for our group, we want to make sure when our customers arriving at the airport, they are taken care of. Uh, properly when they are onboarded and deboarded. I think this is all they should be served with the highest quality taken care of. Third one is be empathetic to our suppliers. They were also in the crisis situation. Both of them, we would have to support them. We would hold hands with them together to develop a, a bright future together. Third, I think to be empathetic to, be, to the environment. I think we all live in this one beautiful planet it's all our joint task that we have to make sure that whatever we do should have a sustainable um, uh, aspect in our decision making, looking at our CO2 footprint, optimize them. I think we procurement leaders plays a big role. We cannot look at somebody else. We are the ones. We need to take care of that. And the last but the least, really be sustainable to whatever solutions is about and also sustainable organizations. I think also 
to make sure that the knowledge which we have learned over our life experiences, career development, pass it down to our younger generations. That's why I'm also particularly happy that I have the opportunity to share a lot of my learnings with you, Tony. I hope some of my stories can inspire some of the colleagues uh, out there. And uh, I hope also everybody will have at the end a very satisfied life. Oh, Angela, I have absolutely no doubt that you're going to uh, have a lot of people look up to the principles that you just shared, respect, caring, and above all, empathy in a lot of different aspects. Empathy in many, many ways of operations. Angela Chu, it's been absolutely fabulous to listen to you and to learn from you. I, I have to say that your surprising perspectives, which are the secret to your success. I mean, you know, your description of empathy and how empathy in, in you know, suppliers, in personal life, in the environment, in operations, I think has been a fabulous experience here. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Tony. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, to all of our listeners out there, as always, we're very glad that you could join us along on this story. Please continue to like and subscribe. And uh, of course, as we always say, keep disrupting. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.